I mean, you've gone through it yourself. Yeah, like, yeah. you go through doctors, you go through specialists, people tell you this is the only option, or they try things, it doesn't work, and they're essentially left to figure it out on their own. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, chronic pain is also one of them because a lot of patients, pain meds eventually stop working and they're left to figure out, okay, what do I do now? I can't just live like this for the rest of my life. Chronic pain is obviously a big thing, but even fibromyalgia, like chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, obviously toxic mold uh, and then there's there's more complicated conditions like neurodegenerative conditions that we're dealing with too uh, because let's be honest like if you have a neurodegenerative condition they're kind of just waiting for you to just get worse uh, a lot of people are not okay with that model anymore they want to do something about it so yeah. that's where regenerative medicine obviously comes in and then longevity, instead of just kind of telling people, hey, you can exercise, you should do this as a VO2 max and so on, we're actually giving them tools to enhance their body. So can you tell me how exactly it works? Because gene therapy sounds a little bit scary. Yeah, exactly. So. Dr. Khan, welcome to my podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me in person this time. I know, this is fun. Thanks for coming out here. Yeah, last time I was in Dubai, we did it virtually. Yeah, this is better. This is better. Much better. <laughs> um, so I asked people from my audience if they had questions for you. So I have a bunch of those and then I have some of mine in here too, just to keep things flowing. Uh, but first question, highest kill to death ratio on Halo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for, <laughs> I guess they watch your dad's uh, Daily Wire and my autobiography. So for people who don't know, I was, uh, I was a champion, a world champion in uh, the Halo 1, the original Halo 1 series on Xbox. Back then, though, <laughs> to, to be fair, though, there was a lot less competition. Uh, that's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> I, I think, I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how to answer that, but I think, <laughs> I think in general, my ratio was probably, ooh, like five to one on okay. average. Which I don't know what that means. It basically means like it's, it's called a killing spree. <laughs> it's, it's a, they would know what that means. But essentially, for every five people you kill, you die once. Ah, okay. <laughs> Wow, but you decided to trans transition into regenerative yeah, I mean, as medicine. Cool, as cool as that was, I was like, <laughs> I need to. Uh, actually, it was it wasn't just the nerdiness. It was more just I, I actually wanted to do something meaningful. Uh, so that's what got me into medicine. Uh, it was it was it, when you're when you're 18. I mean, you're just kind of like naive, and you're like, how do I help people the most? And obviously, you think being a doctor is the best way, uh, which is awesome. But now the reality is, being a doctor is just small piece of the puzzle because I think as you and me have talked about a lot of this is scaling the technology and building businesses to help more people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So since last year, since you've been on, you've been making the rounds for podcasts. <laughs> I've seen you with a whole bunch of like celebrity type people. And so what are, what are people asking you for that you do? Yeah, it's, it's a whole spectrum because there's, I would say two main categories. Let's say one is like orphan diseases. And then the other is just like longevity and anti-aging. So orphan diseases, what that means is essentially conditions that are not being addressed by our medical system. So, I mean, you've gone through it yourself. Yeah, like yeah. You, you go through doctors, you go through specialists, people tell you this is the only option. It may, or they try things, it doesn't work. And they're essentially left to figure it out on their own. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's orphan disease. There's so many of them. Uh, unfortunately, chronic pain is also one of them because a lot of patients, pain meds eventually stop working and they're left to figure out, okay, what do I do now? I can't just live like this for the rest of my life. So a lot of them, chronic pain is obviously a big thing, but even fibromyalgia, like chronic fatigue syndrome, 
uh, obviously toxic mold. Uh, and then there's, there's more complicated conditions like neurodegenerative conditions that we're dealing with too. Uh, because let's be honest, like if you have a neurodegenerative condition, they're kind of just waiting for you to just get worse and the medication just is for symptom management. Uh, a lot of people are not okay with that model anymore. They want to do something about it. So mm -hmm. that's where regenerative medicine obviously comes in. Uh, and then longevity is obviously pretty self-explanatory, but instead of just kind of telling people, hey, you can exercise, you should do this as your VO2 max and so on, we're actually giving them tools to enhance their body so they can do more of that for a longer period of time. And obviously that's like the premier one is obviously the follistatin gene therapy, which I'm sure we'll get into. Hey guys, so last year, before I discovered mold in my house, causing all my issues, I had my hormones tested on the off chance I was having a hormone issue, which I was. My hormones were flattened, like all of them. They recovered somewhat after moving out of that house, given I got pregnant a month after I moved out, after not getting pregnant for a few years. Um, but I wanted to talk to you about the company I use to test my hormones, Merrick Health. They're my go-to telehealth company for labs, hormones, peptides, physicians that don't suck. They gave me an in-depth look at my hormones compared to what you'd get at a regular doctor's office. You can sign up and choose what you want to get tested or choose some of their panels and they give you your results broken down and recommendations for supplements, peptides, or treatments that work. They're super easy to work with, very straightforward. You get all your information. I'm a huge proponent of monitoring blood work. I think everyone should do it. My husband's now working with them, my dad, my brother, and me. They do work other than hormone optimization, like cognitive enhancement, hair loss prevention, body recomposition. The complete package includes the same elaborate panel I got myself and actually just redid. So we'll see what it shows now that I'm not living in mold. And with those test results, the Merrick Health clinical team suggests ways to optimize hormones. To get the exact same panel and medical oversight I got, click the link in the video description or go to MerrickHealth.com slash Michaela and use code MP to save 10% at checkout. Highly recommended, pinned in the description. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode. Yeah, let's get, let's actually start off with that one. So you're gonna give that to me. My husband's already taken it. And from what I've seen, he's definitely more muscular. He says he can lift like more weight for longer periods of time. And I was kind of worried about it because I'm always worried about any type of intervention. Um, and Follistatin I didn't understand very well. So can you tell me how exactly it works? Because gene therapy sounds a little bit scary. Yeah, exactly. So instead of thinking this like a gene therapy, because that word has a lot of connotations behind it, just think of it as a delivery system to increase your Follistatin levels back to when you were younger. And follistatin is a naturally occurring peptide in your body. And as you get older, the levels decrease, just like many peptides in your body do. Mm -hmm. So we're just restoring something back to a normal level. And why follistatin? Yeah. There's, there's many reasons. Number one is very safe. So that was probably the biggest reason why our team chose to make that the first target. Even if you overdose on follistatin, it's not going to do anything. It's, it's meaning it's only going to just saturate the receptors and there's no real side effects from that. The worst case scenario is it doesn't work uh, because there, it's been around for over 20 years. It's not a new molecule. Uh, it's been discovered for a long time, but the, the kind of the breakthrough was to get it to stay in your system because follistatin as a peptide has a half-life of 90 minutes. Oh, okay. So the peptides that you can, like, if you Google Follistatin... Yeah, you can buy it off, up. like, anywhere. But you'd have to inject yourself, like, 10 times a day and wake up in the middle of the night oh, for you to, okay. to keep your level steady. 
and that's obviously not practical. Mm-hmm. So that's why no one really prescribes Swallowstatin or no one really uses the online ones because the half-life is just way too short. So this is just a delivery mechanism to keep your level steady for 18 to 24 months with one injection. Wow. And the, the reason it's a gene therapy is because the way we're transmitting the phallostatin into your body is using what's called a plasmid vector. So it's, a, it's technically a foreign DNA, but none of your genome or your gene is actually being edited. So it's very different from like CRISPR. CRISPR is like the gene editing technology where you actually change people's genomes or you edit something to correct it. And that's obviously much more risky because you can have offsite targets and you're playing with people's genetics. And that's why it took CRISPR like 12 or 13 years to finally get one product on the market. And even then there are you know, some serious risks with it. So whereas what we have is basically just we inject it into your arm and the local tissue there is now transformed or genetically modified. But your whole body is not genetically modified. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's essentially yeah. just the local tissue there now is secreting the phallostatin and bringing your levels back up to a more optimal range, basically. Okay, so like, correct me if this is wrong, but for a plasmid vector, does that mean it, this little tiny like blob makes its way into your mitochondria? Is that where it goes? Yeah, well, nucleus eventually, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah, that's what it does, exactly. But it doesn't edit your genes. No. And it that, just makes its way in there exactly. because it's and, a plasmid vector. Okay, And cool. the plasmid vector, the beauty of it is derived from E. coli, but there's no live bacteria. So there's no risk of like getting like infection or something like from viruses, viral vectors. And then the other thing is it's non-immunogenic. So you don't have to be on immunosuppressants. So because there are viral gene therapies out there that have even follow statin viral gene therapy, but there's risk with that. And I think, and, and the other thing is it's not reversible. If you take a viral gene therapy, you can't reverse it because it's a virus. What, what's an example of that? So like it's called adeno-associated viral vector, like AAV. That's like the most common vi- vector for viruses. And there, there's actually... Why, why would somebody take that? Because they don't think there's any other option out there. But, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> but the reality is now with the plasma, plasmid, it's, it's such a better technology because it's non-immunogenic. It's reversible. Because it's of E. coli origin, you can just take a tetracycline and it's a, it's a kill switch. So let's just say for whatever reason you want it out of your body, you just take this antibiotic and it's out. So it has a safety mechanism built into it. Whereas viruses, there's no safety mechanism. So if you want it out, you're, you can't get it out. Uh, and it's not, it's not repeatable either. Eventually it'll stop working and that's it. Whereas this one can be repeated as many times as you want, like every 18 to 24 months when it wears off. So it has those safety features that really separate it from either vectors out there. Not to mention for people who haven't heard of vectors, like the vector that was probably the most common talked about in the last couple of years was the lipid nanoparticle vector, which was what was used for COVID. Yeah. And the problem with the lipid nanoparticle vector was that it can also have offsite targets and it's immunogenic. So it can stimulate your immune system aside from just the mRNA signal that they're trying to use to kind of vaccinate your body. There can be offsite effects. And that's why I think we maybe didn't fully understand that when it came out, uh, but now we're obviously seeing a lot more people have adverse reactions, and I've seen that clinically too, obviously. Like, and it, it, if, if I've, I've literally had patients who never had any issues, and then they got the vaccine, and it just stimulated their immune system, and now they have an autoimmune condition, and they're dealing with chronic issues, or chronic, and we're able to treat them with what we do, but the fact is they need treatment. It's not like it's just gonna go away on its own. Uh, Could they have used this plasmid vector 
for the COVID vaccine or? Yeah, I mean, and theoretically you could. Uh, and that's, but I don't Do you think, think they that want to. Yeah, well, yeah, fair enough. Do, yeah. Would that have potentially solved some of these like major side effects that people yeah, are experiencing? Yeah, because I think about why is Ooh. the vaccine causing problems in people? I think it's because of the immunogenicity because of that stimulating the immune system and that your immune system is so important for regulating so many different things that's why you get these weird kind of things they're like why are people getting these weird reactions to it when we don't see that with other vaccines you know what i mean oh. uh, and uh i think the other thing obviously is the purification process like how do you actually purify it so that where what's called the dna fragments from how you synthesize it and create it are all filtered out and there's been studies now published showing that the DNA fragments in the mRNA vaccine was higher than the allotted amount recommended by World Health Organization. Ah. So, so the purification, <laughs> you would think for something that's being given to billions of people would go through a better rigorous process to make sure there's no DNA fragments. So I think there's just probably things that weren't done optimally. Uh, I don't know, you know, if, I don't think we'll ever know if this was on purpose or if this was by, you know, just accident, but... It is what it is. Well, even, I mean, they could have easily just been rushed through because it was rushed yeah. through. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And maybe they didn't have the checks and balances that they should have. Yeah. Oh, that's so unfortunate. So are you treating people for vaccine injury? Yes. It's, Successfully? Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's different protocols depending on what symptoms they have, but generally there's like very common patterns which is essentially like immune dysfunction, which can present as chronic fatigue or sometimes even like full-blown like rheumatoid arthritis or autoimmune conditions develop oh, afterwards. Man. I've seen that as well. And so it's, it's almost like we have to reboot their immune system. And so that takes peptides, something called bioregulators, which help promote thymus gland function and, and then uh, the intravenous stem cells because the intravenous stem cells more than anything, what they do, because a lot of people think when they think stem cells are like, oh, you're regrowing or repairing tissue. Mm -hmm. But first generation stem cells are more for reprogramming your immune system. It's called immunomodulation. So basically taking your body from like a pro-inflammatory state to an anti-inflammatory state. So it's kind of shifting. And a lot of times after vaccine injuries, that's what's happening. It's like they're in this chronically inflamed state. So like cytokine storms? Exactly. Like yeah. And, but, the it's, time. but it's like chronic low-grade inflammation. And where, where is that coming from? It's coming from obviously your immune system, which is based mainly in your gut. And then there's, there's a thymus gland too. Those are like the two main components of how your immune system is regulated. So if we can restore function to those using peptides and bioregulators and stem cells, then we often get we get great, pretty great results and then the we have the fmt which we were we're mm. producing our own now so that's that's just in the process of being ready <laughs> that's cool yeah that's cool so are any of these uh well actually let's start with this what's a bioregulator like what's an example of one of those yeah so a bioregulator i think most people have heard of peptides but mm. insul insulin's a peptide that was made like 100 years ago it's a signal to your body to say hey lower blood sugar and move, mobilize it outside of the blood into the cells. And so there's different peptides now that can help with energy, weight loss, like obviously there's Ozempic, which became really popular, but bioregulators are a similar type of signal, except they're a signal to an organ. 
So instead of being for like a specific function, it's a specific organ. So what they do is they basically upregulate the function of an organ. So for example, there's bioregulators for the pancreas. There's bioregulators for muscle. There's bioregulators for your skin. There's bioregulators for your thymus gland. And what the bioregulator is doing, it's upregulating or promoting the function of that organ because you may have some chronic low-grade dysfunction of that organ, meaning it's not doing its job as well as it should. And, can you, and you can test that. So yeah, you can find exactly. out which organs are yeah, working exactly. well. Yeah, and then and you can test it. And then you can also obviously base off clinical history and symptoms and examination. And you do your assessment and you say, okay, like your thymus gland is obviously an issue because you have this autoimmune condition and based off the tests that we've done. Uh, and then you can kind of prescribe that as part of the protocol. Wow. Okay. And is this an injection or an infusion? They're actually pills. Uh, so they're pretty simple to take. So bioregulators wow. have been around in in Russia for like, 20, 30 years, I think. Yeah, the <laughs> Russians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they've been around quite a while. It's just, again, unfortunately, because they're not really patentable, they're not, they have the same uh, presence in the in the Western world. Oh, that's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. That was a very polite way <laughs> yeah, of exactly. putting it. So are you able to... You're, are you able to offer any of these in the U.S. or is it just... Uh, unfortunately, FDA is going backwards. I'm, you've heard about what they have did with peptides recently? Yeah. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. So... You can explain, actually, for anyone who doesn't know. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, the FDA decided that the compounding pharmacies, which are legitimately making peptides with high standards, GMT, GMP, like certified fac like, you know, uh, factories and making these peptides uh, are no longer allowed to. So because they're saying that there's, they need to be regulated, of course, that's mm -hmm. what, and, and then they're saying that they can be harmful. Uh, so they've essentially banned peptides from clinical use Is for doctors to prescribe them. All of them? Like what about Ozempic, for no, example? No, unless they're patented and by ah. a drug company. So, so you can't prescribe trizipatide, which is the generic version of Monjaro, which is a second generation Ozempic. It's, it's basically like a Zempic, except it also improves insulin sensitivity. So that one's like, let's say, the new kid on the block, so to speak. But the generic form of it is called trizepatide, which you could get from almost any peptide manufacturing or compounding pharmacy, and it would probably be a tenth of the price. But because it's not a patented molecule that can be prescribed, uh, like on scale, then they don't, they don't allow you to give it to patients like legally. So you have to prescribe Manjaro, the brand name, and you have to, and patients, if their insurance covers it, wow. they'll cover it, but otherwise they have to pay for it. And, and, and the funny thing is that Manjaro is basically the same molecule, except they add like, you know, some like component to it that doesn't, that's inert, doesn't add any value to it, but then it allows them to patent the molecule because it's different it's from the generic different. version. Yeah. That's crazy. So is it still illegal to like buy these things online from these shifty places or do you generally <laughs> well, that, not Well, unfortunately that? that's what happens, right? I think <laughs> you're basically just getting more people who are going to just be like, okay, well, my doctor's not allowed to prescribe it anymore. So I guess I'll just order it online and see what happens. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's problematic obviously for many reasons because you don't know the quality. Most of the peptide manufacturers are manufacturing in China and then they just say made in US and like with the online ones. So you have to be careful where you go. Oh, that's very unfortunate. Okay, let's go to another question. If you guys are into biohacking, which you probably are if you're watching this episode, yet you still consume the occasional beverage, consider checking out my hangover supplement after party, available at fullerhealth.com, code MP15 for 15% off. 
30-day money-back guarantee. It reduces the impact of alcohol on your brain and body by helping you detox faster by breaking down acetaldehyde, the toxic byproduct of alcohol that poisons you. I don't know why anyone wouldn't use it if they drink sometimes. Fullerhealth.com, linked in the description. I hope you're enjoying this episode. Actually, let's, let's cover this. I don't think this was a question. This is my question. You were talking before we got started about vagus nerve treatments. So I have this like step uncle who's always talking about like random things that, and I'm not sure if they exist or not. And he was always talking about like all vagal nerve and how important this is. And I was like, okay, whatever. (laughs) But like, what, what is this vagus nerve? What is it? And then what are treatments and why are they necessary? For well, some people, your, your step uncle had good intuition because <laughs> the vagus nerve is kind of like the gateway into your nervous system. So what that means is it's it's one of the it's well it is the biggest nerve in your body and where is it, it? It it's around well start like I mean kind of like around here is where we inject, but it runs through your whole diaphragm and innervates that as well. Uh, and okay. it communicates with your spleen. It communicates with uh, even your brain. So the biggest thing. For people to understand is it's basically your autonomic nervous system which is kind of it's it's normally in charge of obviously there's a motor component which is like in you know from the spinal cord and everything but your nervous system can also be what's called sympathetic overdrive like where essentially you're in this fight or flight mode and a lot of people with ptsd or trauma they're in this hyper aroused state even when they don't want to be Mm -hmm. and people with anxiety people with irritability and Honestly, a lot of people just because of stress and because of the modern society. Uh, and the other thing too is like it can be sometimes a situational, right? Like it could be even performance-based anxiety where you don't want your nervous system to get all anxious, and but you can't. But certain things are associated with it, and so it's almost like automatic, and so you can't control that. So it becomes really obviously people do like meditation. There's vagal nerve. There's to your question like there's vagal nerve stimulators which go on the outside to try to stimulate the vagus nerve. Why? Because the vagus nerve goes to your parasympathetic nervous system, which is like the relax or digest system. Basically, helps to calm you down. So sympathetic is fight, and then parasympathetic is relax. And so we're what we're doing is we're trying to put this back into balance because it becomes dysregulated. So this is on this is on too much and this is not going on enough. So it's like you can't relax properly and a lot of this can be because of adrenal dysregulation as well where your cortisol is all messed up and that can be a contributing factor. But they're kind of intertwined because a lot of times people get their cortisol regulated but their nervous system is still like the problem a problem. Uh, so it's not just hormones, it's the nervous system too, which is a low-hanging fruit. And so what we do is we basically just inject exosomes and peptides into the vagus nerve, and then there's something called the stellate ganglion, which feeds into the sympathetic nervous system, and we, we use anesthetic, so it's called a block, but we also inject peptides, so it actually modulates wow. and changes the signaling. Because the stellate ganglion block has been around for like yeah, ever, forever. Like It's that. called SGB block, and... It's covered by most insurance companies now, and a lot of veterans get it, but it only lasts like three months, uh, and then people have to repeat it. So what we do with our approach, like well, many of our patients have been over a year, and they haven't needed it again. And I've, I've helped young girls with anxiety from like 13-year-olds, but I've helped like men in their 60s who were like special forces operatives. So it's, it's a huge gamut of people who can benefit from it. Uh, I've also done it for like, I had a pro golfer. He wrote us a review, so I can talk about it. So hey, online, his name is Matt Wolf, and he's uh, he's he has like a I think he has one of the fastest golf swings in the world. But he had a lot of performance anxiety, and it was only when he was playing away, not at home in Florida. Hmm. And so it was it was obviously to do with just like being away from home and stuff like that. But 
but the vagus nerve injection helped him a ton just to calm his nervous system down and be more focused when he's uh, in I that want test. this. Yeah, it's pretty yeah, it's pretty cool. Oh wow, that's interesting. Okay. Have you heard of uh I mean you've obviously heard of like brain retraining? Yeah. Like I've seen this in a lot of people who have chronic illness where they try dieting and it helps a bit and they try detoxing and it helps a bit and they can't calm their nervous system exactly. down. This allows for he and that's exactly what this is. It's basically a low hanging intervention that's calming your nervous system down that allow other interventions to work better. Because your body can't, if your nervous okay. system's all jacked up, it's so hard to heal. And the nervous system and the immune system communicate with one another. So there can be chronic inflammation in your nervous system as well, which can contribute to so many other pathologies, right? Like neuroinflammation, yeah. chronic pain, neuropathic pain, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. So like I had uh, Chris Bell, he, he, had, he had like this really bad knee pain forever. And we obviously injected stem cells, whatever. But the, the first thing we did was the vagus nerve injection. And he said the next day his pain was gone. Oh my gosh. I know. Okay. And he, he made a video about wow. it. So, but we were just like, I was kind of like, what? What do you mean your pain's gone? So obviously there's like, we don't fully understand it yet. That's why there has to be a lot more research done, I think, in this area. But there's obviously this communication between your nervous system and your immune system yeah. that's going on. And and I think that's a, that's why I think it's such a good intervention because it can help so many people. Did you talk to dad about this one? We talked about the research we're going to do, which is essentially using it for neuropsychiatric, like PTSD, depression. Yeah. Uh, and then doing, we're probably going to do a phase one because obviously this is all like, I mean, I have hundreds of, now we have anecdotes, but we need to probably do a clinical trial at some point to show that this is meaningful and like track more data. Uh, but we want to do a trial like combining this with like psilocybin assisted therapy or something like that uh, to show like long, long-term results of how the vagus nerve in combination with therapy can yield like really powerful results. Mm, I want to try this. I feel like part of my immune system overdrive, I don't know. It might just be mold. <laughs> it might just be like long-term But mold exposure. hijacks your cells in a sense, right? So they hijack them and they prevent them from functioning properly. It's called cell suppression theory. You heard of it? Yeah, I have heard of that. I don't, I mean, I don't like that, the idea of that at all. I know, but that's what mold is, mold is a smart, you know, uh, pathogen. So it, it, it literally can hijack and suppress your cell functions, hence the name cell suppression theory. And then that can call, cause all sorts of different dysfunctional cellular hallmarks. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. I'm probably going to hit you up for the vagus nerve treatment. That sounds worth a shot. It sounds a lot easier than this brain retraining. Like, I don't <laughs> well, want to do that. Well, it's just a lazy that. way. Well, we <laughs> it's also, the lazy way, yeah. We'll combine it with like brain tap. Have you heard of brain tap? Yeah, it's but like, describe that. It's, it's like the headset piece that you wear and has guided, different types of guided therapy programs. So a lot of people will use that to rewire their, their brain and rewire their kind of uh, mental state. Does that uh, take a long time? It does. And that's the thing. It takes, it, it can take months and months. And this is just like a shortcut, I think, to kind of make those things easier. But like to show you like how dramatic this can be, I had a girl just like two weeks ago, she's like 23, 24. And she was, she was actually admitted to a psychiatric hospital just before she came to see me. Cause she was so like, like hyper anxious and like to a point where she was becoming suicidal. Aww. And, uh, and she's been like this for two years. And she's tried everything. And then after the procedure, she started crying because she said she felt like relief for the first time in two years. Like relaxed? And relaxed. Like wow. Like 10 minutes after. I was just like, this is crazy. Wow. Okay, okay. I'm going to come and do that. Yeah, I've done it on myself, so I can tell you. I mean, I'm Did not you an anxious person. It? But yeah, I'm just... I mean, for me, it was more for just like, I have so much stress in my life and uh, just it, it making me more calm and relaxed. And, 
Is there uh, a downside though? What happens if you do this on someone who's already chill? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty chill. It's like, it's just you become lethargic. No, it's uh, no. That's the thing. It's modulating, right? And that's how peptides and exosomes work in general. Okay. They, they modulate. They don't. They're not going to induce anything if there's nothing needed to be done. So it's not going to make you like a sloth or something. Okay. I need a lot to make. Although, me although you know, uh, my wife just had it done too, and she, um, the reason she's postpartum like yourself, and she, uh, I think, I think postpartum it can be super helpful because postpartum depression is a real problem, and a lot of times that's based in anxiety and that's based in these thought patterns. And doing mm. a nervous, doing a nervous system reset postpartum makes a lot of sense to me. I think this would be a great thing because right now postpartum they have these pharmaceuticals that really don't do much, and they push them because obviously that's all they have to push, right? Cool. Okay. Well, I'm going to do that. That sounds like a great idea. And I don't want to do the brain retraining. I feel like it takes too long. <laughs> yeah. I keep looking at it being like my nervous system is definitely a little stressed out yeah. and maybe that's contributing to some of these symptoms, which doesn't mean that they're like in my head. I'm getting like no, flaring exactly. up from like allergens and all these things, but like, why am I allergic to the world? Exactly. We have to build resiliency in your body. Yeah. And part of that starts, the big part of that's the nervous system and obviously the statin, and then we'll, we'll get you the FMT as well because I think transplanting new bacteria is into your gut makes a lot of sense, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I did that though. At Taymount, right? Yeah. I did that at Taymount and then they can send samples and I did them at home and it just, I think I was too damaged. I also think my gut was too permeable for it to make sense. Right. And that's where it's reducing inflammation with the Falstad and IV may be a first good first step to repair the lining and then do FMT after. Cool. Okay. Okay, great. Um, oh, okay. So people asked you about beauty treatments okay. <laughs> and I know that you're, you're delving into that. Okay. So what yeah. do you guys offer? I'll, I'll make a disclaimer, which is I, my passion is not beauty, but it, it was a necessary, let's call it evil because uh, so many people ask about it. And so I took it upon myself to learn and I learned from two plastic surgeons one in Switzerland and one in Japan. And both of these people have been doing uh, stem cells for cosmetic purposes for 10 years. So they have tons of experience and they're plastic surgeons and they're cosmetic doctors. And you're probably wondering why are surgeons doing this? Because they've seen great results mm. and they don't have to cut people open. So there's a reason why they're offering it to their patients. Uh, and, and the cool thing about, so essentially your skin is aging just like the rest of your body is aging as time passes. And of course, Botox can help in the acute setting, but it's not doing anything to slow down the aging process. And what causes your skin to age? It's, it's similar processes as anything else in your body, it, which is there's, there's 10, maybe arguably like 12 hallmarks of aging now. So I'm not going to list all 12 of them, but, for, for, but, but let's, let's list a few of them, like mitochondrial dysfunction senescence associated secretary phenotype SASP this is a long word but it basically just means chronic inflammation uh, stem cell exhaustion where stem cells become exhausted and they can't repair as much oxidative stress gut dysbiosis so and then just tell me your attrition there's all these other ones but essentially they're just all these hallmarks that are consistent in almost every chronic disease because aging is the most complex chronic disease and there's a huge investment of research going into solving aging because if we can solve aging we can actually treat a lot of chronic illness because aging is the most complex form of it and the hallmarks that underlie aging also underlie how your skin ages why you're why you start getting heart disease as you get older why you get neurodegenerative conditions as you get older they're all the same like underlying similar dysfunctional patterns so so in the skin 
if you're, if you, okay, you understand that, okay, it's because mitochondria aren't functioning well, it's because you get this chronic inflammation, you get all these free radicals that build up from sun damage and exposure. So what can you do to actually target those mechanisms? So that's what we're going after. So it's not like we're just trying to say, okay, make the skin look good and come back in three months. We're trying to not only slow down signs of aging, but it may not be like, you know, because some people expect like, oh, I'm going to get the facial and I'm going to look 10 years younger. Like it may take, it takes time. But the biggest thing is it's going to slow down the skin aging process, which is uh, to me, which is the big, like as someone, you know, I'm a big believer in prevention and obviously like why not make your skin healthier and slow down the signs of aging if you can. Uh, especially if, you know, if that's something you're interested in. So what we use, and this is, again, I learned this in Japan, is what they, we have something called, there's different type of exosomes, because there's so many places doing exosomes now. And exosomes for people who don't know is basically the growth factors, the cytokines and everything that is like the soup, the stem cells grow in, and they can reduce inflammation. But the problem is you have to have specific type of exosomes. So let's call them second generation exosomes. So instead of just being like exosomes from like, you know, amniotic fluid or umbilical cord, we can actually get exosomes that are derived from skin cells now. So that's what we're using for the face now. Oh, cool. And yeah. that does that make a difference? Yeah, because it stimulates more fibroblasts and more collagen production. Oh, cool. So we just so we just started that this year now. And it's it's important to understand that basically what they're doing is they take a skin biopsy and then they use cellular reprogramming. So it's called Yamanaka factors. And then they turn them back into a baby stem cell. And then you can take those exosomes and you can inject those onto the face. And why not just take the stem cells and inject them as opposed to the exosomes? You can use both. So we use both. Oh, yeah. okay, cool. The, the stem cells are uh, more powerful. Uh, so they're in combination with exosomes. That's what we do. And we use like 30 million to 50 million stem cells. And because the, the dosing is important because there's, there's lots of clinics in like Beverly Hills and all these places being like stem cells, but they're not using true stem cells because it's illegal in the U.S. to use culture expanded stem cells where they're grown. But that's what they're doing in Switzerland and Japan. And they've been doing it for so long that they know that results usually last between like, it can last up to four years, but I usually tell people two to three years, which is a pretty long time for like a you know, one hour procedure. So it's not like you have to come back and do it all the time. Wow. And so is that just like microneedling with like topical anesthetic or something? No, you actually do you... diabetic syringes where you actually go into oh. deep, especially for people who have more wrinkles and lines or where they want to use the skin because the skin exosomes tighten the skin because they simulate fibroblasts and collagen production. So you can inject that directly into areas where it's more loose to tighten it. Wow. And then we have, uh, we combine that with the Japanese uh, facial cream and facial serum that they uh, developed. This is a really cool product because it's called PLGA capsules. And it's the only technology I've seen uh, that actually penetrates into the dermis and stays in the skin for up to 48 hours. And Japan has done, I mean, I think people who know, know that Japanese and South Koreans are probably the best when it comes to skincare because they put so much emphasis on that stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've done study, they've, they took 10 years to develop this product, uh, but they actually, they actually have the growth factors from their stem cell uh, medium, and they, they're able to put that into a powder form and into a serum form. And it actually preserves, because there's all these like stem cell creams out there, but yeah. they're all BS. This is the only one I've seen that actually, it's from Japan, and it actually does what it says wow. it does. Yeah. okay. I bought a stem cell, a bunch of stem cell stuff like last year from this company that had like, they didn't have very many ingredients in their products. And I was like, I like that. Yeah. I understand all these ingredients. But the co- it's but unlikely the growth factor. No, medium. Something? You need a condition medium. And that condition medium is the Japanese, it's their proprietary technology. So I don't think anyone else in the world has that as far as I know. 
So what I'm using is just fake? Probably not doing anything. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll get you the good I don't stuff. think it's doing anything. <laughs> yeah, I'll get you the <laughs> Okay, okay, very cool. Okay, that covers beauty. Um, oh, and okay, before we got started, you mentioned a cultopeptide or something? Oh, yeah, clotho. Clotho, okay, what is that? Yeah, so people, we explained follostatin. Yeah. So clotho is the same vector, so meaning it's a plasmid. And it's also going to be, can be injected subcutaneously or into intramuscularly. And it's going to increase your clotho levels back to like an optimal range when, like, let's say when you were younger. And as you get, as you get older, clotho also decreases. So what does clotho do? It helps with protect against neurodegeneration uh, and it can help uh, protect against kidney disease as well. And it also de-ages your body, meaning it's also anti-aging similar to follostatin. Like our, the follostatin, the clinical trial we did, uh, which is published now, we had on average 11 years biological age reduction for people over 60. And how are you testing that? A, a true age diagnostic. Wow. And they're pretty good, but like they're not perfect. I think we're, we're considering switching to uh, this company called Generation Lab, which uses something called biological noise. It's a, it's a bit more complicated, but I think their tech seems like it's the best from what I've seen. Is that um, measuring telomere length? Or that's just one marker. The problem okay. is telomere length is in like, it's not the most accurate representation of how your body's aging. And plus, like, it's, it's, you have to measure different organ systems. And that's the key to it. And that's what Generation Lab does. So that's why we're probably going to be working with them. And they're a group from Harvard. And they're really bright people who've come up with this cool technology. So I'm excited to start mm. using their testing for our, for our new work we're doing now. But basically, Fallstatin de-ages your body, let's say, on average 11 years, if you're over 60. Uh, and if you're, if you're, like, our age, it's still, like, five years. So it's still pretty decent. And But... Clotho is similar. It de-ages your body a similar amount, but it all. But instead of giving you energy and strength, it can potentially make you your memory better, uh, oh, wow. focus better, and it can help with uh, maybe even increase IQ. That's one thing we're going to track. Your, that would be nuts. Your, your dad suggested to use Braven's progressive matrices. Yeah, so, <laughs> those are so fun. we'll use that as a as a clinical in the clinical trial, which starts in March. Wow. Yeah. So is that cumulative? You could technically take folostatin and then yeah, you exactly. take this other one. Well, that's like the whole 10 point. Years? Exactly. Well, you'll be good for 18 to 24 months and then you just repeat it. So the whole idea is you come, you come to our clinics, you do these different cell and gene therapies, you're good for like two years and then you just come get them as you need them. Wow. Has Brian Johnson does, done this clotho? What is he's it? How do you spell it? How do you spell it? K-L-O-T-H-O. Oh, okay. Has he done that one? He is eager to get it. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, he did the. Follow, I'm sure people know he did the follow-statin because he talked about it. Yeah. And he he showed his blood test. He showed the benefits of it. So obviously we got a lot of exposure from that. But I think uh, I think he's a little bit also. I mean, just on his. I think he's a little bit extreme, obviously, with his approach to longevity. But yeah. But Clotho, he's yeah, he's excited for it, and so are a lot of people. We're also going to be looking at Clotho because of its benefits for kidney. Uh, we're going to combine it with uh, uh, intraarterial stem cell injections right into the kidney. Wow. Okay. And with these stem cell injections, when like when you inject them, can you see like is there any way to actually measure any tissue regeneration or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, we do ultrasound. So for example, if you have like a tear in your shoulder, we can do an ultrasound before and after and we can actually see the tissue regenerate. We oh, we see wow. that all the time with tendons and muscles, uh, cartilage as well. Uh, it's uh but the but the key to let the key to all this is second generation stem cells. So second generation stem cells is what we're just, so like we talked about second generation exosomes. So second generation stem cells is the same technology. 
I'd like to just say Yamanaka stem cells. So because it's, I think it's easier to remember than induced pluripotent stem cell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> IPSC as it's called. But Yamanaka stem cell, the guy from Japan who won the Nobel Prize for cellular reprogramming. So basically wow. taking any cell in your body and making it into a baby stem cell, that's called Yamanaka stem cell or induced pluripotent stem cell, IPSCs. And the IPSCs, I think for a layperson, just remember these, this is second generation. Why is it second generation? Because you can genetically engineer these cells to target specific tissue. So instead of just being like umbilical core stem cells, you can create like beta islet cells for the pancreas. You can create neural progenitor cells for dementia. They've already done Parkinson's trial this year, it's published iPSC derived dopamine producing neurons. Ooh, that sounds like fun. And it actually put patients in remission because they transplant them and they actually engraft and regrow new neurons. And they, and they actually help patients with Parkinson's long term. So this is what we're, we're developing right now. We're working with the company and we, we're developing different iPSC cell lines. So this is going to be second generation. And that's going to be, like you said, actually repairing and regenerating tissue more so than the first generation because they actually have more engraftment. And... I think the biggest thing for people to understand about iPSCs is that because they're like embryonic, they can the, the, the risk is they can grow into tumors. So that's the, that's and there's a one percent chance of that. And so the the cell lines that we have, oh. they're genetically engineered, and th this is a patented technology. They're gene edited to prevent tumors or uncontrolled proliferation. And where that's the technology we have that's unique. I, I would say compared to other companies. So our our iPSCs will not cause tumors because they have this gene edit in them. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. So is this, are you using the same technology in the infusions? Yes, we're switching over. Right now we're still using umbilical cord, uh, what are called early passage stem cells, which is, means we minimize amount of replication. So we minimize it to three passages, oh, okay. which is important because like a lot of stem cell clinics are doing like six, eight, ten. And it, that's like, it's called replicative stress, which means you grow it too many times. It makes the cells more damaged, more vulnerable, and they can actually become senescent. They don't survive and they can cause even more harm. So our cells are early passage, but we're switching over probably by the fall or so that we'll have the second generation ones. Yeah. Wow. Wow. This is so cool. What, who, who are the people you see the most in the clinic out of curiosity? Are they like from a specific area or is it mostly Americans? Yeah, I mean, now it's mainly Americans. I, I think, I mean, I used to have, obviously being from Canada, it was a lot of Canadians, but it's definitely switched over in the last like year, I would say, <laughs> because America, like, I mean, obviously the population is much bigger and there's a lot of people who are self-educating themselves and but a lot from Europe too. And I mean, even Asia now and all over, but people, most common is obviously, I th I'd say chronic pain. That's still like really bread and butter of what I do. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's nice that you can give people relief from that because that is awful. It is. Yeah. Um, so mom actually did your stem cell therapy. Yeah. And she did, you correct me if I'm wrong, but did she get the infusion and injections into yeah, yeah. her joints? Yeah. Yeah. And she told me, cause I was like, did it do anything? Like, did yeah. it work? And she said she was gardening again and she hasn't gardened in like 10 years because she had yeah. really bad arthritis in her hands and the diet put it into remission. But like, the damage had been done. Yeah. It had been done. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think there's like a lot of like, like, you know, functional med doctors out there who are just like, Oh, you can fix everything with diet. I, it's not, I mean, there's a reason why I have a job. <laughs> I think you can't, there's certain chronic diseases that are, that need something, a bigger impact to change like the physiology. And then you can, obviously you can layer, you can do a layered approach where things amplify each other. 
like, yes, diet, exercise, sleep, stress, all that stuff is great, but sometimes it's not enough to get rid of everything. And mm -hmm. so what we do just kind of helps people to get over the kind of hump. Yeah, that's cool. I know I got hit with like reality last year when I was like badly exposed to, it wasn't even, that, it was kind of bad, but badly exposed yeah. to mold where I was like, I'm like, I don't really have toxic products. I'm careful about everything I bring into the home. My diet is like one thing and it's worked for so long. And then I got sick yeah. from mold and I was like, oh no, there's this other massive factor that I've been completely, I hadn't been completely ignoring because I had air purifiers and things, but I didn't realize how much that could impact my health when I had all these other things in check. Yeah, exactly. And now I think for you, you've obviously, you've optimized all that stuff as much as you can. So it's like, what do you do now? And that's where we come in. And that's why we're going to do the fall statin for you and a few other things. <laughs> oh, okay. And I'll keep everybody posted about that. Um, okay, let's see. Let's, let's pick another question from people. People were interested, and like, let me know how much you can talk about this, but people were interested in different types of cancer treatments. And I know you went to Japan, and they're doing some interesting things there. Yeah. If I'm not wrong. Yeah, that's right. In that. Japan, so in Japan, what I learned was immunotherapy. So yeah. So basically, in, in traditional oncology, I mean, it's starting to shift now, but it's still very much chemotherapy, radiation, surgery they're starting to add something called checkpoint inhibitors, which are essentially a way for your body to say, to kind of stop us. So what happens is cancer becomes immunoevasive, meaning your immune system can't recognize it and target it. And so checkpoint inhibitors can help to target the cancer. So checkpoint inhibitors are a form of immunotherapy that are starting to be used in the US. And then there's other form of immunotherapy. Instead of helping your immune system to recognize the cancer, it actually boosts your body's own power to fight the cancer. So essentially, immunotherapy is a very broad term for helping your immune system to deal with cancer. So that's, that's like the general definition. So checkpoint inhibitors is one way to do it. And then the other way is actual cell therapy. And there's genetically engineered cells, for example, like CAR-T, chimeric antigen receptor, which is added on to T cells. So you take the T cells out of your body. T cells are like snipers. They're like, you know, they go around, they kill things. They're cytotoxic T cells. So their job is to kill cancer and other foreign invaders. But sometimes they become exhausted, meaning T cell exhaustion, they can't work. Or cancer is so smart, it puts on these shields and your immune system can't recognize it. So what you can do is you can, you can genetically modify them with this chimeric antigen receptor, take them out of your body and then infuse them back in and that can help to kill certain type of cancers for leukemia and lymphoma, especially blood cancers. Oh wow, that sounds a lot less invasive than chemo. So in theory, you could do these other modes that are available in Japan and you guys are doing them? Or yeah, we, we just, we manufactured natural killer cells which are part of your innate immune system. And so natural killer, as the word suggests, they're natural killers. Their job is to kill foreign pathogens, cancer. But again, your immune system becomes kind of hijacked when you have cancer and it can't do what it needs to. So this can give it a boost to help do what it needs to. And same thing with dendritic cells. So dendritic cells are what are called antigen presenting cells. So they are kind of, the, think of the natural killer cells as the soldiers and then the dendritic cells as the general who's orchestrating, telling the soldiers where to go. So that's kind of like the general gist of how, so we're, we're, we're putting the infrastructure together for your body to deal with the cancer. 
But the problem is we don't know that the, there still needs to be more research to figure out who are the best candidates for immunotherapy. There are some blood tests now and genome sequencing, and there's a lot more individualization you can do for cancer, which unfortunately is not being done. Just to give you context, and this is from Dr. Tom Insladin, who I have to give credit to. He, he treats cancer here in Scottsdale, and he's, he's, he does whole genome sequencing, and he says the standard of care, even at the best cancer centers like MD Anderson, are nine, he, 900 times less than what he's doing in terms of like how much genome sequencing you should be doing to figure out what's the best type of therapy for this cancer. So there's he, like, that's a crazy, that's not ideal. No, exactly. That's a crazy amount. And that's the number he used. And I'm just like, wow, that is, but because there's no individualization, it's almost kind of like, it's just a mass approach for everyone, but it has to be like personalized treatment for you based off what type of cancer, because there's just so many different subtypes and depending on the genome sequencing of the tumor and the microenvironment, there's going to be different cancer therapies that are going to be more effective as a very generic treatment protocol dendritic cells and natural killer cells aren't going to be harmful and they can only help for almost any type of cancer because they're basically just making your immune system stronger. And I've, I've, you know, Dr. Midori, who's a Japanese doctor, her, her, her dad is an oncologist and he's been doing this for over, I think, 15 years now in Japan. And, and so the government's totally aware of this and yeah. this is just protocol in yeah, Japan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so they've treated patients with like advanced cancer, like stage four, who are still alive 10 years later today. And obviously it's one of those things like, once you see it, you believe it. And there's obviously Japanese literature published on it. There's, it's harder to find in our literature because it's just not that common. But we, have, we now have dendritic cells as well. So we have those in Mexico. So we're offering dendritic cells and natural killer cells for people uh, just as, as a complementary potential treatment. It's, I'm not saying don't do chemo. I'm just saying why not try to do, at least at the very least, do both because it can only help chemo as well. And there's been studies on that too. Okay, so for the average person, because I'm sure there's going to be somebody listening who isn't like loaded and can't afford to do some of yeah. these treatments, is this like, say they were in Japan, is this something that's just standard or is it also super no, expensive No, it's also there? expensive. Oh, okay. I would say like, I would say if, if you don't have the means to do these cell therapies and they are very expensive still because they're relatively new technology, then doing a minimally, you know, invasive approach where you're trying to get your own immune system to fight the cancer. So what does that mean? So doc, that doc, back to Dr. Tom, what he does, he uses exercise with oxygen and he uses micronutrients and he looks at all these different toxins in your body that can be the reason why your body can't heal and fight the cancer. So he's just using exercise with oxygen therapy and nutritional and mineral protocols and he's, he's having a high success rate. He told me he's only had one patient in the last six months who hasn't survived. And he gets stage four cases and all sorts of cases. So That's crazy. I know when mom had cancer and we were looking at everything and she was already on like, she was on a ketogenic diet. Uh, we were looking into micronutrient therapy, which I didn't understand in the least. It was like, I don't understand how that works. But anyway, putting that aside, do people assume that the reason people get cancer now because you do see somewhat healthy people and suddenly that they have cancer. Is that from biotoxin overload? Yeah. Toxin overload? That's the leading theory. And Mark Lintron, who you will bring on your show, can go more detailed into it. But his theory, for people who are curious, is called cell suppression theory. And he has a book published now. And essentially what happens is 
these intracellular pathogens, which are mainly fungal spores that we're all exposed oh to. Oh my gosh. See, I keep spouting off, off about mold and people are like, oh, is it mold the cause behind? Is that the cause behind everything? I was like, maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> she's not wrong. <laughs> it's actually a contributing factor, most likely in almost all chronic diseases. It's one of those like low hanging fruits, like similar to gut dysbiosis. Like we all, it's so common nowadays where we have imbalanced back, gut bacteria. I would say fungal spores falls into that category as well where we're, we all probably have them in ourselves, but some of us, because for genetic reasons, can't clear it, or because our immune system becomes weakened over time, then it starts causing issues down the road. So the best way to deal with it on a very high level is just high, high, high sweat, like just do high intensity exercise where you're sweating, because you have to, you have to physically sweat, and it, sauna sweat, it doesn't do it, is it, it activates these lipases, which help to mobilize toxins from your fat, and they only get mobilized when you're sweating in, from physical exercise. Why? Why, because, why wouldn't a sauna work? Because uh, it's called hormone-sensitive lipase, HSL. It's a lipase enzyme that gets activated that helps to remove these toxins from your fat. But it only gets activated with physical exercise and movement, not just from sweating. Oh my gosh. I haven't exercised to the point of sweating in like... I have no idea. Exactly. I don't remember the last and, time And I some people that. can't sweat. And have you ever wondered why yeah. they can't sweat? Well, yeah. Why because, does that because happen? Because it's like a protective. The fungal spores are protective. Yeah, they're basically like they don't want to get out. So it's like it makes it harder for your body to sweat. It's like they're they're smart. They're oh my sweat. gosh. Okay. Okay. Can you explain this then? So I'm really used to sauning, and I've sauned for a long time because like previously it's made me feel better. And I have a sauna here, and I've been sauning because I was exposed to mold, and I was like, oh, I want to detox. I'm not sweating properly. And I've talked to Jordan about this because I've been like, I used to be this pro sauna goer yeah. and just like 20 minutes in there and I'm drenched and it's been like 40 minutes and I have like little tiny droplets and things. Could that be <laughs> from being exposed to mold? Yeah. That is fucked. Yeah. They're smart. They're smart little. Oh my gosh. That explains it. Okay. Yeah. So we got to get you a sweat. Uh, we'll get you a sweatsuit. It is what it is. You wear it when you work out and it helps you sweat and you can order it online. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm glad we did just the podcast just for that. Because <laughs> yeah. this sauna thing's been weirding me, like really weirding me out. Yeah. It's like, I, I don't feel like they're working as well. And I'd heard people talk online like, oh, I can't sauna. It doesn't make me feel good. And I was like, well, maybe you should just suck it up and stay in there longer. Like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm like one of those people. I didn't know what was going on. I was like, yeah. I'm not sweating for some reason. No, exactly. Like the reality is there's something. So again, I'm going to keep name dropping Dr. Tom because he's a world expert on this from what I've seen. And he he tests, he, he says there's 86,000 toxins now in the environment. 86,000. That's nice. So how, 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 how can you even, like, what, what are we going to do, right? The environment's the environment. We can't change modern society. It is, it's already too, if too far gone. So all we can do is build resiliency and try to, do build the right do the right tools so that we can deal with these toxins hmm a sweatsuit sweatsuit <laughs> i hadn't heard of that yeah that seems very useful yeah. and it, it's not like sauna or infrared technology or is it kind of infrared helping no no it it, it I, I think it just helps your body to sweat more i don't know the exact mechanism okay but yeah i'm gonna look into that that's cool wow Okay. Okay. And then you talked a little bit about how expensive and like I had tons of comments about like, these are so expensive. Like how do normal people afford this? But can you talk a little bit about the price of stem cells? And Yeah. I mean, the price is they... actually cheaper than when I came on last year. Yeah. So okay. that's progress. So that's progress, right? Like I think last year we said it was like 25,000 for an IV and now it's like 15 to 20. 
So, yeah, and why is it going down? Because the manufacturing is improving. So we're able to use something cool. called uh, bioreactors where you can grow more stem cells at a cheaper cost. And it's gonna, and, and that's just gonna get better. Now, let's, I think in another year or two, once we have the second generation ones, and those are at scale, then those ones will be the expensive ones for like, you know, let's say celebrities, pro athletes, people who have more money. And then the first generation will be even more affordable. So I think it's, it's only gonna keep getting better. I, and I think the best analogy now that I think about it is like those, do, do you remember those plasma TVs but when they first came out? They were like, some of them were like $50,000 or $100,000. Like now you can get them for like, 500 bucks. Yeah. So it's like, you know, this happens. This is the technology of oh, innovate. But there has to be early adopters who are willing to say, okay, not, I mean, yes, there's, there's a selfless component of saying, okay, I'm willing to do this because I can afford it and it's going to pave the way for future, for more people to do it in the future. And I think that's the mindset of a lot of the people I have. I know, you know, obviously a lot of celebrities and people I treat, that's kind of their mindset too, is that they know this can, it. exactly, because they know this is going to help humanity down the road similar to how electric vehicles like elon musk when he had to get tesla in 2010 he had to he gave it to like leonardo dicaprio like tom cruise like he was just he just like take a free car because he wants them to just drive it and promote it and but once but the car back then was pretty crappy like it didn't go very far it was just a bunch of batteries taped together like it was so but the technology improved and it paved the way for better technology and i think that's the same thing with cell and gene therapy so gene therapy already like yeah, again, it's, it is expensive right now, but I believe in like five years, the fall statin will be probably like a fifth of the price. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, where have you been? Because you've been around talking to doctors and seeing what like the most cutting edge therapies are. Where in the world have you been, do you think, that's advanced the furthest? I mean, in my space, definitely Asia. Like I think uh, China, Japan, and... Even South, I haven't been to South Korea yet, but I'm planning to go this summer. Uh, oh, are probably are probably the leaders when it comes to g tissue engineering, cell therapy, and gene therapy, and like really moving this field forward more from a clinical translation side as opposed to just research. Like I think U.S. still has some of the, and Canada too has some of the best and brightest scientists, but the problem is our regulators don't allow for a lot of the stuff that we're actually making this amazing breakthrough science on because they're so strict and stringent about what can be done when I don't think it's, I think, I think the ja Japanese models make so much more sense to me, which is saying that, okay, we have a regulatory framework and we know that these things are safe. They're very unlikely to cause harm and they have a lot of potential benefit. So why don't we allow that for people who want them? That, I mean, it's, it's very logical to me. And that's why stem cells have culture expanded stem cells which are the ones that are manufactured and grown for like three or four weeks, which are illegal in the USA, are, have been around in Japan for 10 years. So I think it just, it just makes you question why are the Japanese doing this to like a, such a large scale? To their own population. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And whereas here it's like, well, do we really want people to get better? Or you know, who's, who's controlling the regulatory bodies, right? Yeah, is this just... So is it just the pharmaceutical companies? I mean, there. I think um, Dr. John Abraham. He was on Lex Friedman's podcast, and he has a great. He he has. If you guys, if people who really want to dig into this, it's an hour and a half long. But and he has a book called Sickening. But the gist of it is, I'll give you the high level summary. Pharmaceutical companies have some. There's something called a, a revolving door, which is like big pharma 
go they the people who are CEOs and executives there often go into FDA, go into SCDC, and they kind of just like revolve around those different places. So in basically in reg, like insiders from the industry are going into the regulatory bodies. So what's so who's who are they going to help out? They're going to help out their buddies that they know, right? So it's just that's just unfortunately the way it is. That's that's the biggest problem, but there's many many other problems in terms of like how these things get approved, how they're how pharmaceutical companies are good at getting approvals because they know how to work the system. Because some of the drugs don't even do much. Like, like there's so many examples. But even like there's one called Trulicity, which is like this um, diabetic drug. And it, there's something called number needed to treat, which is like how many people actually need to take this to have a real meaningful benefit on their health. And like number needed to treat was something like 327. That means 327 people. So if you give it to a thousand people, like three benefit, three people will actually benefit from it. And this is FDA approved, and because they were just able to do like you know, just have a large enough sample size to make it statistically significant, and like just they know how to work the system basically. And John Abraham, wow. he 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 really talks a lot about that. Abrahamson, or yeah, his book is called Sickening, though, but it's a really good, eye-opening topic. Sounds yeah, that sounds like somebody good to get on to. That's awful. That's awful. I feel like when you grow up, especially when you grow up in Canada, at least when I grew up, I was like. I was told that we had the best healthcare yes. system in the world over and over and over again. Yeah. Best in the entire world. And then when it really came down to it, when I needed surgery, like now, oh, yeah. Yeah. it was like, oh, this is terrible. And they're like, yeah, you might want to go to India. We were literally <laughs> considering it. Oh, we had a visa booked yeah. to get me an ankle replacement in India because there was a three-year waiting list in Canada. And I was like suicidal with pain. India. That's And wild. I was like, okay. Well, I, I thought the same thing. It's funny you said that because that's what I was like, oh, I, I'm so lucky. I get to go to a Canadian med school. I'm going to the best, me- I'm getting the best medical education in the world. And, and honestly, a lot of my colleagues still think that. And that's probably part of the reason why they're not, they're not really understanding where, what's happening in medicine because they think they've already learned everything there's to learn. And what they need to learn is being distilled from a very specific lens of guidelines. And those guidelines are coming from specialists and those specialists have ties more often than not to pharmaceutical companies because they're the top tier specialists and they always get poached and recruited by these pharmaceutical companies. And so the guidelines are essentially just a reflection of a bunch of specialists who are might be the top in their field, but unfortunately they have their own biases. And so so if you if you if you actually look at it and you start going outside of the guidelines, then you're you're considered not doing things that are standard of care. And then that's where it becomes hard for a lot of doctors to be like, and so obviously what I'm doing is not standard of care in Canada, but in other countries it is. And in other countries, people are benefiting. Plus for me, it's always a discussion now with my patients. It's, I, I offer them, I'm like, okay, well, you can get a hip replacement or you can try this stem cell procedure. These are the success rates. This is the pros and benefits. And you can decide. Most of them rather do the less invasive procedure that can potentially have the same outcome. Yeah. Why? Why not? And why? Why shouldn't they have that option? Uh, and the, the fact that they have to travel outside the country to do that is kind of baffling to me. But that's the current state. So l- let's talk about joint replacements for a second. How far? Like what? How far gone is a patient that you've seen that's recovered? Like I'm, for me, from just to give you an example, yeah. like when I got my hip replaced, it was there was no cartilage and it was bone on bone, and the bone was starting to break down. So it was at that point. Yeah. Can you resolve something that far gone or have you seen that? Or is it like before that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is 
we have had cases with that and now especially because we just got hydrogels so hydrogels oh yeah we, i think i talked about them last year and now we have them finally uh so we have the first generation of hydrogels which is essentially a scaffold in which the stem cells are embedded into but the, this hydrogel specifically is really cool it's from it's a company in portugal and what it does is you can inject it using just a regular syringe so you don't have to do a surgery but then it crosslinks once it goes inside so it forms this like scaffold mesh how do you stems... how do you know where to put it just by the injection yeah we use ultrasound guidance okay. to go right into the joint or into wherever the wherever we need a scaffold and so what that allows is it allows the stem cells to embed better which allows for more engraftment and regeneration and it, it really depends on what is causing the pain because if yeah if it's purely mechanical because there's like no joint space and it's like hitting bone on bone then obviously stem cells aren't going to help that but if it's more, so I was fucked anyway. Probably. You probably okay. Well, that's although, good because it's replaced. Although, so that's what although, I kind of want to hear. Although now what we're what we're working on is the tissue engineering with three D bioprinters. Yeah, that's exciting. So we have an orthopedic surgeon on our team, and we're talking with a company called Tissue Labs in Switzerland. And basically, what we want to do with them is we want to explore if we can actually three D bioprint an entire resurfacing essentially of the joint. So then in your case where you had no cartilage, you would resurface it using this, uh, this 3D bioprinted scaffold arthroscopically. And then it would, with stem cells, it would regenerate new tissue. Oh my gosh, yeah. that would be so good. So that's not far away. That's like, that's already been done in animals. And there's a group in University of Washington doing that too. And uh, so I, I don't think that's, that's less than, definitely less than five years, but I'm hoping by next year we'll be offering it in clinical trials. Wow, oh, that's really exciting. When I, um, I had my ankle replaced and they put the replacement in crooked, slightly crooked, uh, for, and I didn't know that for about 10 years. So I was in chronic pain and I was going to surgeons to try and find somebody to re-replace my ankle. Cause Jeez. I was like, yeah. at this point, I don't even want a foot anymore. Yeah. Like I was, it was like, it hurt so much. I was like, I would probably be better off if it was just not there. And I went to the surgeon who was taking cadaver joints mm -hmm. so he'd find eventually he'd find someone who's like a suitable size to you and i went to talk to him and i was like can you do that to me and like give me back my ankle and he just he didn't even it was so sad he didn't even charge me for the appointment he was like no it just doesn't work like they'd been trying to do it yeah. and they just weren't working and he was like you know just fly home i'm sorry <laughs> yeah well that i mean this is what's called synthetic biology which is where we can manufacture cells and tissue to the to the degree that we want. That's the, that's the era we're heading. We're in the beginning of synthetic biology, but in 20 years from now, we're gonna look back and be like, wow, that was really barbaric what we were doing back then. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, but it's, it's just the beginning of that revolution, but it's exciting because obviously there's so much promise in this field and this is just, a, it's literally, there's a whole community of scientists who are brilliant and doing so much amazing work that I know for a fact, like I can, I'm very confident that this stuff, like joint replacement surgery will be a thing of the past within our lifetimes like for sure that's cool okay if that happens i'm gonna get you guys to re-replace my joints with real real <laughs> oh, right. bone you can just create try a to go backwards bio artificial yeah like, or, like basically ankle yeah yeah <laughs> regrow re you a different ankle <laughs> yeah oh that's so cool okay let's see what else do i have on here oh this was this is this should be an easier question is what to do to to lessen scars so so yeah first understand if it's if it's key, like a keloid or hypertrophic scar or even from burns, we've had great results using the culture expanded stem cells. 
And this is where dosing becomes important because if you're just using non-expanded ones, like the ones that are available in the US, the dose is maybe 500,000 to like a million stem cells, which just isn't high enough to change the tissue architecture, meaning you mm -hmm. have to remodel, the, to, to treat scarring, basically you're remodeling the tissue. And that remodeling, there has to be signals that are strong enough that send those signals. And that's where we use like culture expanded stem cells, like again, like a 30 million dose or something. And we would put it into the scar directly and it can actually remodel it and it can, it can flatten it out and make it much, much lighter. It doesn't just turn into scar tissue. No, no. <laughs> One <laughs> now of the now we have a super scar. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. No, stem cells are actually, exactly. And that's the cool thing about stem, stem cells are kind of more like chameleons. They kind of, wherever you inject them, they help, they kind of camouflage or turn into like the local tissue around them. So that's that's their cool that's the job and one of their one of their uh, main effects uh, is antifibrosis or antifibrotic meaning it helps yeah. with fibrosis or scarring that's why it's it's we can use it even with chronic fibrosis or scarring for different organs and but obviously scarring is no different and so now now that we have the second generation exosomes we're using that and stem cells together for scarring okay do you think that works better than like lasers like CO two yeah no because I've had many patients who tried that we're we're usually the last resort because our stuff is yeah, obviously more yeah expensive. Um, so most of my pay, like I've, we've treated many scars, and a lot of them are people who've already tried all that stuff. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So they're usually tried all the traditional things, and they're kind of like, well, what else is it? What else is out there? And that's how they end up with us. Okay. What What's your favorite treatment that you do? Honestly, I think it's becoming the Vegas nerve because really? of how satisfying it is to see how much it changes people's lives and how quickly. I guess I like the immediate gratification, whereas with stem cells. Like often it can take months to see the results and you know you're slowly it's kind of like watching paint dry you're like you want to see how people are doing but just it, it often takes time uh, chronic pain might be quicker but for other conditions it, it does take like four to six months so with with vegas nerve like like i was saying that like girl like i've had like th those special forces army guys like they literally like within 10 minutes they're like crying because their life just changed and they're going back from being suicidal to not being suicidal and living a normal life like with the 10 minute procedure like I just I just find that so like it's just it's amazing to watch and it's 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 kind of sad in a sense that like it's not accessible like it's like very few people know about it and that that this is even an option for them uh, because there's so many people with mental health conditions that are rooted in unresolved emotional trauma and that unresolved emotional trauma stays in your nervous system and that's why the vagus nerve injection is so powerful because it's resetting and rebooting your nervous system and if if, if you can do the work, the deep root cause work of working with someone, going to your childhood and really exploring that, whether that's with psychedelics or without, I think that's where a lot of the best benefits are for therapy. But we're doing it just in an interventional form. Yeah, that's so interesting. So for people who can't do the interventional form, that's where psychedelics... Or just, I guess that's where, like, writing out your past and just trying to work through yeah, the trauma. Yeah, Russell Kennedy, actually... who you should bring on your show, too, he, he wrote a book called Anxiety Rx, and it's probably the best book I've seen on anxiety, but it's all about how to work, like you said, writing it down, but working through and having a stepwise approach to how to get to the root of unresolved emotional trauma or childhood trauma that you didn't even think was trauma, but is actually what is causing you from having this anxiety or having this depression. And that's what Russell Candy talks about. And he's, his success rates are way higher than like CBT and like, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy and standard of care therapy because CBT results are not that great. And people, and it, it takes like 12, 24 weeks. And a lot of times people don't get benefit from it. So 
So I, th I think we're really starting to understand uh, and probably Gaber Mate and, you know, a lot of the people who did the uh, initial work on adverse childhood events and that type of stuff really set the foundation for us to understand that, hey, these, these adverse childhood events are actually probably one of the main drivers for chronic neuropsychiatric disorders. And those adverse childhood events too, they don't have to look like trauma, right? Exactly. To everybody around them. Yeah. It could just be something that... Well, exactly. Your... Like Dr. Kennedy Russell was telling me that like he's had cases where because he does, he helps a lot of people with these uh, different um, disorders where people had chronic anxiety and it was related to them getting left at home when their parents took the other child to a vacation. And then like just something simple just as like that. that. Just like, but the child remembers being alone with their grandparents and, not, and being forgotten about and, you know, like things like that, which you would never think would be a trauma, but... So oh maybe gosh. it is for nervous, you know what I mean? So, so anxiety provoking as a parent, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, what am I, what do I do? Well, I know that's Can't what that, spoil exactly. them, but exactly as a, as a parent too. Now it's like, uh, that was the same, that was the funny, the same reaction I had. So I'm like, I'm like, Russ, how do I prevent my kids from like not having any trauma when they're older? <laughs> so you gotta be so cognizant of the small, it's just, it could be the smallest things. Right. And I think that's where communication and really having that emotional intelligence and resiliency and yeah. building that in their kids is so yeah important. that because you can't you can't also keep them safe and not expose them to anything no. or they're going to go out in the real world and instantly be traumatized yeah exactly oh man how old is your kid now are you enjoying being a dad <laughs> well i have a five-month-old boy but i have also two girls so who are three well four and three now so so yeah it's fun i mean i think the favorite my favorite part about it is watching them change and develop but I think I think one of the things I've I've, I've read a few books because I think the interesting thing is if, in society it's like why don't we ever get educated on how to become a good parent how to, <laughs> yeah how to become educated so that we can actually do a good job because if you if you do a good job with parenting that's gonna make such a big difference for society for like everything right like uh, and I found the two biggest things I've read about which I'd be curious to hear your thoughts are instilling self-efficacy and creativity in children because those are two of the most important skill sets that foster like a you know a successful resilient child like that they believe in themselves if they work hard at something they can succeed and then obviously creativity is pretty self-explanatory and school tends to kill creativity in the yeah. modern, modern form it is in I've, i had this experience with scarlet so i've got a six-year-old and i've always been like she's gonna love like reading because I used to love reading. Although I'm thinking now that maybe part of the reason I liked it so much is because I wasn't running around as much as a normal kid because of the arthritis and was like immersing myself in books sounds good. I don't know. I might have liked books anyway. But, but she's like, she's interested in drawing. And I was and I was like, that's cool. But I always, I was like, you should be interested in reading. And I just gave up recently because I looked, looked at one of the paintings she did compared to other kids her age and I was like oh she's actually really good at painting <laughs> yeah. like maybe I should be like you draw, draw your heart out who cares about reading you, you can learn that yeah. thoroughly later it's not like you're gonna be illiterate when you grow up um and school does kind of kill that oh yeah I mean I think if you don't fit into their box which is I, I mean I think school was designed I mean this is I'm pretty sure it was it's for factory workers, basically, <laughs> yeah. which is like meaning that it's, it's replicable. It's, it's meant for just getting people out into the workforce and doing regular jobs. But regular jobs in the next 10 years, especially by, because of machine learning and AI, are going to be most of them are going to be replaced. So a lot of it becomes knowledge work and creativity work. And that's something that the education system is really not preparing people for. So 
that's why I'm a huge believer in travel. And like, I, I mean, I travel all over and, but taking my kids with me, I think is so good for their brain and so good for their development. Cause then they see different perspectives and it just, you see things differently. Yeah. So do they go over to Dubai over there when yeah, you work yeah. over there? Yeah. And I'm going to take them to Japan this summer. So, Oh wow. Yeah. I'm going to be working in Japan for two months or so. And I'm excited because not only learning more about stem cells, but the gene therapy stuff too, because they've, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's the birthplace of the Yamanaka stem cells, which is the gene edited stem cells. So there's, there's obviously a lot of amazing scientists over there. And do you just have connections with people who are like willing to show you around, like teach you what they're doing or how do you get in there and Yeah, learn? I'm, I'm good at networking. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, a lot of it is, yeah, a lot of it, it's a community, it's, it's like a community, right? Of regenerative medicine people, like I would say, and scientists and people who are actually trying to do good work, meaning just trying to like improve the science, like using and it, like it's it's kind of cheesy but at the end of the day most of the scientists we all just want to help people and like we every scientist's dream is for their work to make an impact on people's lives like and and so a lot of them that's and they see a lot of them like i found a lot of them like me because they see that i'm really trying to go out there and trying to put this into people and trying to really move the field forward as much as i can and unfortunately i have to go outside of us and canada but and that's that's the nature of it for now uh, and I think I th I'm hoping the more I learn in Japan and the more I can kind of hopefully show the government maybe back home that, hey, you know, this is a very successful model over here. And it actually saves us money because you prevent disease or it's less costly than surgery. There's all these actual economic benefits, too, which get overlooked all the time. Mm -hmm. You think if someone just had a conversation with the right person in the government, you'd be like, hey, look, Japan's doing it and yeah. they're ahead. Don't you also want to be ahead? Yeah, exactly. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, exactly. Even just like, forget about helping people. Like, there's a competition here yeah. and you're losing. Yeah, no. <laughs> Even just that aspect. <laughs> yeah, it depends on who, which bureaucrat you're talking to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, well, I think that's good. Thank you very much for coming on. That was really interesting. And I think maybe... I'll have you on again, and then we can talk about what happens with the fall statin and whatever else you learn, because you've learned a ton. I mean, this was a new conversation from last year. Yeah. So we should do this again. Yeah, no, for sure. And hopefully you can come down to Cabo and we can do some of the oh, other, yeah. other stuff too for you. Oh my gosh, definitely. I yeah. definitely want to do the Vegas thing. That yeah, sounds so, great. Yeah. Rather than work through all my trauma, like that sounds, that's going to yeah. take so many shrooms. Yeah, no, like. it just makes it, <laughs> well, this makes it so much easier. Yeah. All right. Till then. Okay, thank you.